Let us pray. Oh God, remind us of your love for us because that is our story. Amen. Today is the first of three weeks of our stewardship campaign. I've got to admit something to you. I've done many stewardship campaigns over the years, and this has to be the weirdest text that I've ever read for a stewardship campaign. Actually, it may be the weirdest text that I've ever had read for a sermon. Actually, weird may not be the best word. Maybe distressing or, or far-fetched. I was reading up on this text this week from Mark, and I came across many questions that have been asked over time. One of the questions I had that I didn't even have to read about was, in that story that Bill read that talks about that uh, the people had tried to chain this fellow, shackle him up, and, and they couldn't do it. They weren't strong enough. And my question is, why were they trying to chain this guy up? Was he unsafe to them or just unsafe to his own self? And then the obvious question. Jesus gives permission to demons, unclean spirits, they called interchangeably. He gives permission to them to go into this herd of pigs. And then, of course, the pigs run into the sea and are drowned. Does Jesus not care about the pigs? Why would he let these unclean spirits do such a mean thing? And then how about the people who were tending the, uh, the pigs, the swine herds, they call them. What happens to them? I mean, can you imagine 2,000 pigs? I came across an article. It was written by somebody who was a preacher um, in a rural Ohio, uh, Iowa church. And in that church were many pig farmers. And the, and the author said that when he read that scripture and asked people to talk about it, one of the first things that one of the pig farmers says, well, you know, pigs can swim. And then another thing that all of the pig farmers in that congregation had to say is that, well, you know, the thing is, what the people should have done is they should have gotten mad about the whole economic situation that was happening. Can you imagine? 2,000 pigs. Why didn't the people get mad? about that. Now we didn't read the reaction yet. I'm going to read that in a little bit of the people, but they didn't get mad. But before I get to that, I'd like to glance again at some of this story to kind of catch us up on things because I'm we've been in Mark for a while now, but I'm backing us up this week and for some silly reason I chose this text. We had been in Mark 7, 8, and 9 and now we're backing up to chapter 5. But I'd like to even back up a little bit more in the story right before this story today. Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue, well, teaching among the people, teaching and healing like he does, and he was worn out. They got into the boat on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They got into the boat, and it must have been a hard day for Jesus because pretty soon Jesus was sound asleep. Well, soon there's a great storm, and the storm was so great that even these, you know, most of the disciples of Jesus had been fishermen. It scared even those fellows. 
But they noticed that Jesus was still sound asleep. So they wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're fixing to die? And long story short, Jesus calmed the sea. He said, peace be still. And the storm quit. And the story ends, it said, with the disciples afraid, asking themselves, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then we get to this story today. It begins with uh, when they come out on the other side of the sea, they go from the east to the west. And the thing about that, the geographical importance of that, is when Jesus is coming out on the west side of the sea, this is Gentile territory. The other side, like Caesarea and Nazareth, that's Jewish territory mostly. And on the other side of the sea is Gentile territory. And that's where he's at now for the very first time. And the very first thing he does, as soon as he steps into Gentile territory, is he has this man come running to him and bow down. And as I've talked about already a little bit, it's not just any man. It's not just any old person. It's a person with an unclean spirit. He's in the graveyard among the tombs. Folks, like I said, tried to restrain him, but they couldn't. He was too strong. Nobody had the strength to subdue him, Mark says. He said that, Mark says that night and day he's off by himself and he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. We have this man here who has been either put outside the community or has put himself outside the community among the tombs, which in the Jewish parlance would mean an unclean area. And he's out of control. He's out of control to the point that he's even hurting himself. Why is he doing that? We'll find out. The man runs up to Jesus. He bows down and he calls out to Jesus. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you to God or I beg you, don't torment me. Because Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now notice what's going on. Here's a man who has a spirit this man is not even in control of his own doings. Jesus asks the guy's name. He says, says, my name is Legion, for we are many. My name, the person, for we are many. Now one thing about this word Legion. Anywhere in Mark's world, if they heard the word Legion, it would be immediately associated with a Legion is in a division of the Roman army. The Roman, the hated, oppressive Roman army. In other words, yet another knock against this man. And then we read about the demons asking if they could go into the pigs. And Jesus says yes. Pigs, another symbol of the uncleanness of this story. They run into the sea. Sea could be a symbol of chaos. That the demons have gone down to where they belong in the chaos this is a really weird story. It's a scary story. But rather than keep our focus on what we've already read, I'd like to read the rest of the story. Did y'all get that? Oh, y'all are so awesome. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed and in his right mind. 
the very man who had had the legion. And they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. And then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with them. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. Do you notice what happens? The people hear about what happens. They go out and they, and they see that this man who had been out of, his, out of his own mind, out of his own control, here he is sitting clothed and right-minded. And did you notice how they reacted? They didn't celebrate. They weren't joyful. They were afraid. And they begged Jesus to leave. They were afraid, just as the disciples had been in the last story. Same word, afraid. Why were they afraid instead of joyful? You'd think they would have been, if only to be excited for this man. But instead they're afraid because what had been chaos, whether it was a storm or whether it was this man's life, the storm was calmed. Would have been chaos... It's now the opposite of chaos. And the people couldn't understand that. It violated all rules of how things were because the people were certain about who was in and who was out and what was good and what was bad. And Jesus had come around and turned all that upside down because now this guy was just like them. So they begged Jesus to leave. But speaking of begging, did you notice... Who else begs? The people beg Jesus to leave, but this man who's been healed by Jesus begs to go with Jesus. And Jesus tells him no, instead turns him around and says, Go home and tell folks how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy the Lord has shown you. In other words, go home and tell your story. We don't read anymore about this man in Scripture. And we don't know what particular story he may have told, but we can imagine a man utterly alone, not even control of his own life, put outside from all the people into this graveyard, a threat to himself and to the community. But not even that man was beyond the reach of God's love. Some may have said that this man was God-forsaken in a God-forsaken place. But Jesus shows that no one is God-forsaken. No place and no person. Jesus redeems and restores this man. This man considered unredeemable and unworthy. In this man's own words, he goes out and he tells the story of God's love for him. And of what God has done for him. The mercy God has shown him. He shares a story that no one is beyond God's love. We've got that same story to tell. It's the story of the good news of God's love for all people. And God's love for all people begins with God's love for me. For each of us. It's a story that no one has forgotten. No one is unloved. 
No one is forsaken. And each of us are called to embrace and to share that love by telling our story in our own words, in our own unique way, and in the own unique way that we will tell it. Now, of course, the best way for us to tell our story is to live our story. Who are we willing to love? Who, how are we willing to love? One way that we in this church seek to tell the story of God's love is in being a part of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. Next week in our worship, in the, in the second week of our stewardship campaign, we're going we're gonna to look at some of the nuts and bolts of our ministry here of Highland Christian Church and how those nuts and bolts help us tell our story of who we are and who we hope to be in this place and in this time. But today I want to take just a moment for us to consider our story as part of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. Because I think we as disciples have a story to tell of the wonder of God's love. In your bulletin this morning, I hope that you had a insert. Um, I'd like to draw attention to it, just to talk a few pieces of it, and then I want to have you do something. The first piece, to me, is the most important piece because it's the most important part of our time together. It's on the inside of the flap where it says, The table is open. I'd like to read that. That means that all are invited to respond to Christ's invitation to draw closer to God around the communion table, no matter where you come from or what you've done or who you are. All are welcome. The table is open for all of us. That's a story we have to tell. But it doesn't stop there. If you skip down a little bit to the, not the next paragraph, but the next one. We don't stay at that table. We move out into the world to fulfill our mission to be and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Witnessing, loving, and serving from our doorsteps to the ends of the earth. Our table helps us tell our story that our life is not about us. It's about God. And it's about God's never-ending love for all of us because all of us are welcome around God's table, a table of love. We're called to tell that story and use words if we have to. Another piece that I'd like to highlight is under the section Freedom of Belief, which is on another page. Under that part, Freedom of Belief, part of the way down, it says that we hold the centrality of Scripture, recognizing that each person has the freedom and the responsibility to study God's Word within the community of the church. We hold a common confession here that Jesus Christ is Lord. And everything else that we think on in life comes from that common confession. We have the freedom to express our faith in Christ in the ways we've seen it. But not only the freedom, but the responsibility 
That means we're called to think on our own. Wrestling with Scripture. Wrestling with the voices of others who challenge us. Wrestling with God's Spirit who never lets us go, but who's always calling us into that responsibility to study the Word of God among us. One last piece, and it's only briefly mentioned in this brochure. It's under the section down below that one, under our vision, under the part called A Passion for Justice. And in the middle of that, it says, The Christian Church Disciples of Christ has committed itself to become a pro-reconciling, anti-racist church. At the 2001 General Assembly, I can't believe it's been that long, the General Assembly adopted what, was known, what is known as the 2020 vision. And the hope was in 2001, by 2020, that there would be four priorities that our denomination would focus on. One of them is starting a thousand churches, and they've started something close to that, I think, to revitalize a thousand more churches. The third one was to develop new leadership in the life of the church. And the fourth one, the one I want to focus on, is about our church moving intentionally toward being a pro-reconciling, anti-racist church. Here's what the Disciple website says about this. The pro-reconciliation, anti-racism initiative was founded upon the need to make visible God's beloved community. It invites the church to listen to the once silenced voices of its racial and ethnic communities, to learn from their wisdom, and to gain insight from their leadership. Now, I wanted to emphasize this particular ministry of our denomination because if you've ever heard, heard me preach or teach, most every Sunday you're going to hear about my involvement in pro-reconciliation, anti-racism, things in our community. You see, that's not my thing. That's a disciple thing. That's who we are. We have a story to tell. Disciples, we do have a story to tell. It's a table to remind us of God's love. It's a common confession of Christ as Lord. A confession that unites us as brother and sister. And it's a God who calls us all to have a passion for justice. I'm going to sit down for a minute. And I want to encourage you to take this little brochure and look it over. And consider how we as the Christian church, disciples of Christ, might encourage you to do the same thing that Jesus tells this man today. To go home and tell how much the Lord has done for you. And what mercy the Lord has shown you. We are disciples of Christ. A movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. As part of that one body of Christ, we welcome all to the Lord's table as God has welcomed us. Thanks be to God for God's grace and love. Amen.